Welcome to our second message in our Wrestling with Doubt series. Our theme for today is, Is There a Heaven? And Is Jesus the Only Way to Get There? We have two texts for today. The first is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, the first six verses. The second is from 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. We'll begin with the passage from John. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then from 1 Timothy chapter 2, This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus himself human who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for embracing us even when we doubt. Lord, help us to learn in this series that our doubts are not the antithesis of faith, but they're actually the the journey to faith, our path to believing more deeply. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. But what's next? At some point, we all face death. But what's on the other side? Is there a heaven waiting on us? How do I get in? Experience suggests that there is a heaven. For thousands of years, Almost every culture has had rituals to prepare for an afterlife. It might be the mummification process in the pyramids of Egypt. It could be the burial mounds of the Aztecs or the Mayans. It could be our own funeral services in which we offer hope of resurrection. Almost all people intuitively understand that this life isn't the end. Somehow we just know deep down that there is something beyond this, and we cling to that idea. Reason also supports the idea, though. Even science actually offers evidence. Dr. Sam Parnia is a Ph.D. and an M.D. who practices in New York and teaches there in New York. Uh, He researches death experiences, near-death experiences. He's not a man of faith. He does this research for scientific reasons, wanting to see how we might could bring people back from these death experiences. Through controlled experiments with cardiac arrest patients who survive, Dr. Parnia has documented cases of patients remembering things that happened after their EEG flatlined. In other words, after they were brain dead, after there was no activity in the brain, they still recovered and were able to recall things that happened that during that period of time when their brains were not able to receive new information. His research 
suggest scientific evidence of consciousness that continues after physical death. And then, of course, the Bible tells me that there is an afterlife, that there is a heaven. And that's important for me because I believe the Bible is true. Jesus said that he was going to prepare a place for us. The text from today's uh, sermon is words that Jesus spoke just hours before his own death. During the, during the Last Supper, Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go, I will come again and take you to myself. Paul says that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He also says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I believe those things are true. In fact, I'm counting on those things being true. I'm living, I'm trying to live my life in such a way that assumes those things are true. But ultimately, there's no proof. I've not been there. Uh, I can't give you absolute certainty about what happens next. I choose to believe in heaven. It is an act of faith. But so is not believing in heaven. There's no proof that there is not a heaven either. But some choose to believe that way. But that's also an act of faith. They believe one way, we believe another, but there is no way for us to absolutely determine who's right until we actually get there. Now, I believe there is a heaven. I want to live my life that way, and I see no shortcomings for believing in one. Well, if there is a heaven, what is it like? There are lots of description in gospel songs and Bible stories. There's the land of the unclouded day. Some imagine us as angels sitting on clouds. Well, we, we don't actually get to become angels. They're different species altogether. Uh, and I don't know that we're going to spend our eternity just lounging on clouds, but we think that way sometimes. Even the Bible struggles to find sufficient language. It talks about streets of gold and gates of pearl, but, you know, I think that the authors were trying to describe something that is beyond description. There is very good reason to believe that it looks like creation. The end of our story is our beginning. God wanted to create a, a world and people in it to have a relationship with, and God's going to get what God wanted in the end. Jesus spent his entire earthly ministry talking about establishing the kingdom of God here on earth, the kingdom of heaven here. He said it's arrived here. Perhaps the first two chapters of the Bible give us a picture of heaven. We know that God is at work redeeming all of creation, not just us, but all of creation. All the more reason for us to care, not only for one another, but for the environment around us. We are a part of building the kingdom of heaven on earth. But how do we get there? That's the big question, isn't it? That's what we really want to know. Is our religion right? But if so, what about all of those other religions whose people practice them faithfully? It's one of the most common questions from doubters and people of faith alike. What about all the religions? Why are there so many religions? And how can we claim that ours is the right one? Well, people have been searching for answers for a long, long time. The first human beings, the first, the first creatures to be anatomically like us, 
appeared on the planet around 300,000 years ago. We have evidence of developed cultures that started somewhere between 35,000 and 65,000 years ago. By that, I mean there was art, there was writing of some sort, there, was, there were religious practices, there were burial rituals. Those things have been going on for tens of thousands of years. Well, our biblical story only picks up 6,000 years ago. If you go all the way back to Genesis and you do the math, our biblical history is only about 6,000 years old, and Jesus arrived only 2,000 years ago. Now, what that means is that for tens of thousands of years before Christ, people have been searching God, searching for God through all sorts of methods. And while God could have started this religious history that we have as early as God wanted, for some reason, God seemed content to let people search and wonder without the need for them getting it right. And surely, God didn't condemn them to hell for what they didn't know. Surely God would not con- a good God would not condemn tens of thousands of years worth of people to hell for something that God had not yet revealed. Paul addresses the idea at Mars Hill when he identifies our God as their unknown God. Paul goes through all of their temples on Mars Hill and he sees that there's even a temple to an unknown God. And he says, let me tell you who that God is. The God that you worship is the unknown God. That is the Lord of heaven and earth. And then Paul quotes pagan philosophers when he says, in him we live and move and have our being. Well, the pagan philosophers were talking about Zeus. But Paul applied it to Yahweh, to our God. It's as if they were worshiping the right thing but by the wrong name. They had the right idea, but didn't know what to call it yet. Jesus affirms in our text today that he is alone, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to get to God. Paul tells us that Christ gave himself as a ransom for all. I do believe that the gift of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection provides the only way to access God. I believe that. But I also believe that it's God's gift to give to whomever God pleases. We don't get to determine who receives the gift or set the terms for it. It's not up to us to decide to whom the gift applies. If they've prayed the right prayer or done the right thing, it's not our gift to give. In fact, we we believe that God gives that gift, uh, that gift of salvation and eternal life that God gives the gift to people who die as babies and to those who are too mentally challenged to make an informed decision for themselves. God chooses to offer the gift to whom God will. Is it possible that God gives the same gift to any who live lives of love for God and neighbor? Maybe even if it's in other religions. Other religions who practice love for God and love for neighbor, is it possible that God extends this gift of what Jesus did at the cross even to them? I pray for that possibility. I hope that's the case. I hope that there are people in heaven that surprise me. I hope that God has found a way to include people that I might not include. That's a good thing to hope for. So yes, 
There is a heaven. I do believe that. And Jesus is the way to heaven. And God will give that gift, I believe, to those who love God and love others. Amen.